Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. I am so excited to bring the word of God. There is, you know, I really believe that this word is for now, and I believe that it's going to bless you and it's going to equip you. But God's word, before it can equip you, also has to confront you. And I'll tell you that this word really confronted me first. And so I'm excited to bring it to you today. You ready to go on a little bit of a journey with me? Okay, so I'm going to use the message version of the Bible this morning because sometimes the message version just has a way of hitting just right. So come with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. I am emphatic about this. The moment that any one of you submits to circumcision or to any other rule-keeping system, at that same moment, Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. I repeat my warning. The person who accepts the ways of circumcision trades all of the advantages of the free life in Christ for the obligation of the slave life of the law. I suspect that you would never intend this, but this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace doesn't mean that you lose your salvation, but you turn your back on Christ. And it's possible to both be saved for eternity and separated in this lifetime. So you're rendered ineffective. Amen? So when you attempt to live your own religious plans and projects, you're cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. Meanwhile, we sit expectantly waiting for a satisfying relationship with the Holy Spirit that never comes. For in Christ, neither our most contentious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior, faith expressed in love. You were running superbly. Who cut in on you? Deflecting you from the one true course of obedience. This detour doesn't come from the one that called you to into the race in the first place. And please don't toss this off as insignificant. It only takes a minute amount of yeast, you know, to permeate an entire loaf of bread. Deep down, the master has given me confidence that you will not defect. But the one who is upsetting you, whoever he is, will bear divine judgment." As for the rumor that I continue to preach the ways of circumcision as I did in those pre-Damascus road days, that is absurd. Why would I still be persecuted then? If I were preaching that old message, no one would be offended. If I mentioned the cross now and then, 
it would be so watered down that it wouldn't matter one way or the other. Why don't these agitators, obsessive as they are about circumcision, go all the way and castrate themselves? <laughs> it is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and then destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. And if you haven't experienced that, come to recovery. We see it every day that people who have been set free go in turn to help set others free. And when they do that, they realize that the freedom that they thought was so overwhelming was actually pretty small compared to the freedom that is growing as they extend themselves in service to others, that their freedom grows to something that's far greater than they even thought was possible. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence, love one another as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be annihilating each other. And then where will your precious, precious freedom be then? So there's probably some of you that are thinking, okay, I get it, Pastor Morgan. I get it. I'm supposed to trust God completely, lay down all of my religious posing so I can connect with him, come under grace, but still not become lawless. Though I'm not supposed to mindlessly kneel to the law, I'm supposed to be so enamored with how much God has loved me that I just go and turn to love others. How do I do that? That's what this entire message is about. In order to live a Christian life, you have to come to a reckoning with three trees that are mentioned in the Bible. The first true tree is the tree in the midst of the Garden of Eden. If you don't come to a reckoning that there is, in fact, objective, not subjective, truth, that there is a clear line between good and evil, that there is black and white, hot and cold, that as Christians, we're never called to live a lukewarm life, if you don't come to a reckoning that there is real evil in the world and that we were born into a nature that is separated from God and that God needed to come into that equation to set us free, we can't really move beyond that. Because that leads us to the second tree, which is the tree on Calvary, the cross. Coming to a reckoning with the cross is coming to a reckoning with the end of ourselves. If you think that you can still live your own life, God helping a little bit now and then, that God is the God of the temporary circumstance, I'm just going to pray to have him help me with this, but I'm not really interested in a life with him, I think I can do it on my own. I think I can earn my salvation. I think I can figure out happiness in this world on my own. The cross is probably a little bit out of reach still. But if you've gotten to that point where you know that no matter how hard you try, that there's areas of your life where you haven't been able to break out of habits that you know aren't good, 
There's areas of shame that you've never truly found healing for. There's things that you know that you know that you know that you have to let go of, but they are buried in such dark places of your heart that you're scared to go there alone and you don't know that you'll ever be able to get there on your own, that you actually need more power than all of the power that you could muster on your own. That is reckoning with the cross and the need that we have for a savior, somebody who can actually set us free, has the power and the authority to do that. But salvation is the starting gate. It is not the finish line, which brings us to the third tree, the tree in our own eyes. And after God has set up that relationship, has broken us out of the bloodline that we were born into, has set us free from the tyranny of death and sin, he can start to help us uproot the things in our own life that have been blind spots, that have been keeping us bound, and have been keeping us useless in really being able to go out into all the world and help people, to make disciples, to multiply that amazing gift of freedom that he's given us. If you're still dealing with something in your own eye that you're blind to the hurts and the problems of others, or maybe that you just are feeling like, I don't have the right words to say, let me tell you, when you deal with that tree in your own eye, God will replace your judgment with compassion, and he will give you a gift of freedom that you can give to others to set them free. Amen? Okay, so we're going to go through these three trees. The first tree is the tree in the midst of the garden. And reckoning with the tree in the garden means acknowledging that there is objective truth, black and white, good and evil, right and wrong. In order for truth to be true, it must always be true. Objective truth is always true. God is eternal. He is the way, the and the life, right? So the truth, in order to be true, must always be true. So if you say, this is my truth, you're using that word wrong. It doesn't mean what you think it means. Because in order for truth be, to be true, it must always be true and also must be universally true. So when you're saying, this is my truth, you could just replace that word with, this is my preference. This is something that I've, like I've seen in my own experience has been true for me, but I know that it's not universally true, but this is the way that I prefer. This is the way that suits me, and that's fine. Just don't call it truth because that's not what it is. Because when you say that this is my truth, you're saying that this is the unchanging fact of my life, and it is universally true. True, And when you chain yourself to a truth which is not the truth, it becomes far more of an anchor than it does a sail to set you free. So if you're feeling bound, language is powerful and have been tied up in making all of these my truth statements, watch your tongue. Okay. So in Genesis... 
2.15 through 17, and believe me, I have to do this myself all the time. I have had to change language in my own life to stop cursing myself, to stop cursing others, to stop agreeing with identities that are not identities in other people, rather than saying that somebody is an addict, rather than saying that somebody is an alcoholic, rather than labeling them as this label or that label. I just say that they are a child with God, and this is what they're struggling with, because a struggle can be overcome. An identity, that's much, much harder to break, okay? So Genesis 2, 15 through 17, Then the Lord God took the man and the woman and put them in the garden and Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man by saying, Of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now I know that there have been some really bad theology around this, trying to convince mankind, as the enemy did, the serpent did in the garden, that God is withholding, that he's not completely good, that he put this tree there to taunt them, that he set them up for failure. It is a lie. You got to know this about God. God is 100% good. Everything that God is, he is 100% that thing. God is 100% love. He is 100% life. He is 100% good. In him, he is light. There can be no darkness, right? So when God's light shines, darkness has to flee. But how many of you know that when you create an opportunity for love, that you have to also create an opportunity for rejection. I have two kids. I love them with all my heart. I only think good thoughts towards my son and my daughter. I only think of thoughts and a life and a hope for them that is good. I never want to curse my kids in any way. I never want to set them up for failure. I only want to set them up for good. But in the 18 years that I have with them, and my daughter, we've got 12 of those 18 years left. With my son, we've got 13 of those years left. I know that once they're out of my house, that they're going to have a choice as to whether or not they want to continue in relationship with me. And if my daughter, who is the apple of my eye, came to me and said, Daddy, I know you've tried your hardest but I just don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to change my name and I'm going to move away and I don't want you to follow me because if you follow me, I will reject you there the same way I'm rejecting you here. I don't want anything to do with you. I'm done. Goodbye. How many of you know that that would absolutely shatter my heart as a father? And there wouldn't be a day that went by that I wasn't thinking of my daughter, hoping that she would come home and mend that relationship because I can't mend that relationship on my own strength. She's the only one that could say, Daddy, I was wrong. But when we brought my daughter into the world, we knew that we were faced with that potential. When God brought us into the world, he made us in love, for love. He never purposed evil for us. He never wanted separation from us, but he had to give us the choice because otherwise it wouldn't be love. 
So he put all of that potential inside of a fruit, and then he warned Adam and Eve, don't eat this, because inside this, there is good and there is evil. I only designed you to know good. You know good because you know me. You don't need to have an experience with knowing evil experientially, and don't mix good and evil together. But then the serpent brought it, brought, came in and deceived them and said, eat of this fruit and you will be like God. Like Pastor John said, they were already like God, knowing good. But because God is 100% good, he doesn't co-mingle with evil. Inside of this were, was the potential for both. And Adam and Eve, chomp, 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 mixed good and evil together and swallowed it, and digested it. And you know when you eat and swallow and digest food, it becomes a part of you. Yep, that's it. So there was no separation before, and now there's an, there's a, there was only separation between good and evil before, between light and dark before, but in the man and the woman, it mixed together. And if you've ever mixed black and white paint, it no longer becomes black, and it's no longer white. It's something that is not purely what it is. So God needed to give us a way out and bring his pure bloodline in, his unadulterated family line in to be able to give us a way to set us free. Does that make sense? Yeah. That is reckoning with the tree in the middle of the garden of good and evil. And in science, they're catching up with this. Genetic science, DNA science, like scientific peer-reviewed journals say that generational sin can be passed forward up to 14 generations, 490 years. 490 is also 70 times 7, but I'm not going to get into that. But just so you know, the Bible is consistent all the way through. It will be finished in the 14th generation. But I don't know about you, I struggle with keeping myself free from sin for 14 days, let alone 490 years. And so the trauma that I've experienced, the things that have gone on in my life, the fruit that I've eaten that I shouldn't have eaten, though it may be done in 490 years, I'm probably just going to be building up more along that time. And I don't know about you, but I don't know about what my great times 12 grandfather was doing as he walked the earth before William Shakespeare was born. If he was famous, I may know of some of his accomplishments, but I certainly don't know the deep, dark parts of his life, his hurts, his disappointments, his shame. But it could be affecting me now, 14 generations later. And that's why God sent Jesus into the world to break the chains of the generational curses that we've carried from our family line. You may say, but I was born that way. The Bible agrees with you. Science agrees with you. But Jesus says you can re be reborn another way, that you don't have to let your history determine your destiny. Amen? Okay. So Pastor, uh, Pastor John Brevere came the first Thanksgiving that I was in this church, Thanksgiving in 2014, and he preached a message about uh, Proverbs 9.10, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. 
So I told you we were going to be reading from the message version. So in the message version, Proverbs 9.10 says, skilled living gets its start in the fear of God. Insight into life from knowing a holy God. It's through me, Lady Wisdom, the Holy Spirit, that your life deepens and the years of your life ripen. Live wisely and wisdom will permeate your life. Mock life and it will mock you. Then there's this other woman, Madam Whore. I love how the message version doesn't mince words. <laughs> Brazen, empty-headed, frivolous, she sits on the front porch of her house on Main Street, and as people walk by, minding their own business, she calls out, Hey, are you confused about life? Don't know what's going on? Eh, steal off with me. I'll show you a good time. No one will ever know. I'll give you the time of your life. But what they don't know is about all the skeletons in her closet that all of her guests end up in hell. If I know that there are things in me, that there are dark things in me that I haven't been able to reckon with on my own, and I've been putting on religious clothing, trying to present myself pure to God, trying to overcome my debits with credits of being good, and I know that it has a weight on me, and I know that I'm not truly living, you need to reckon with the tree on Calvary, the cross. That in the Passion Translation, 1 Peter 3.15 through 17 says, But give reverent honor to your hearts, in your hearts to the anointed one, and treat him as holy, master of your lives. And if anyone asks you about the hope living within you, always be ready to explain your faith with gentleness and respect. Maintain a clear conscience so that those who slander you for a living or slander you for living a pure life in Christ will have to lie about you and will be ashamed because of their slander. It is far better to suffer for doing good if it is in God's plan than for doing evil. Wow. There's a video I want to show you. The, um, the magicians, Penn and Teller, have a show in Vegas, and Penn Gillette, the pen of Penn and Teller, had a run-in with a Christian, and I just think it's so powerful, uh, such a powerful example of how to share your testimony well. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show. And uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. He said, I wrote in the front of it. And I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. 
but he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, liked your show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man, and uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man... That was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. So the question that I have for you, which is a question that I ask myself all the time, is are, have our lives been transformed? Do our lives look like good news to a world that's in need of answers? And I think about that challenge. How much do I have to hate somebody to not tell them the truth? But I'm not going there with all of my information berating them for failing in a way that they've already probably are feeling the weight of the world on their shoulders. But I'm coming to them in love, polite, kind, full of love for them. You know, Jesus didn't come to his the people that he saved with information. He came to them with an invitation. Follow me. He didn't fill them up with all of the reasons that they had failed. He just offered them an invitation. But if they didn't take the invitation, he kept walking. And sometimes that's really, really hard. I don't know what seeds were planted that night, but to hear one of the world's most famous atheists so affected that he felt like he needed to record this video and cry on video talking about the goodness of somebody that was willing to inconvenience themselves 
willing to put themselves up for ridicule, for canceling in our culture, for sharing the truth with them, that that brought him to tears. That gives me pause about what I could be doing in my life. And I know that it's hard because it can feel challenging when you're like, I've still got stuff to work out in me. That's the third tree, the tree in your own eye. In Matthew 7, 1 through 5, we're going to get to the message version in a second, but it famously says, judge not that you may not be judged, for with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log the tree that is in your own eye. The message version gets to the heart of the matter and says, don't pick on people, jump on their failure and criticize their faults unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. When Paul starts his instruction to Timothy in 1 Timothy 15... He says, hey, before we get into instruction, I've got to tell you that I'm not coming at you from a place of religious rules. I was chief sinner amongst sinners, and I've got to tell you that God set me free. And because he set me free, I can offer you wisdom on how I got set free. He calls Timothy his son. And when we're thinking about our sons and daughters, instead of coming with rules, come with transformed lives. Not all of us have the same testimony that I have, that I had a very broken relationship with a father who was both alcoholic and sociopathic that was wounded by his own dad and wounded me really deeply. He rejected me, he abandoned me, he bled all over me in our relationship when I just wanted him to acknowledge me. He only once ever acknowledged me for doing good, and that was when I performed for him. So I had a very broken belief system around performance. And I love my mom and my adopted father. They are amazing. And they did the best job that they possibly could with me. But there were a lot of times because of the wound that I suffered in the beginning of my life that I felt like I needed to figure things out on my own. I spent a lot of time by myself. I felt separated from people. I would go to my own birthday party and be surrounded by people that were cheering me on and telling me happy birthday. And I would feel like I was an outsider looking in. And when I tried to deal with this stuff on my own strength without knowing the truth, I got it really wrong. I was extremely promiscuous. I had porn addiction. I got into relationships with men, with women. I thought it would be easier after getting my heart broken over and over and over again to go into the gay lifestyle. I thought it would be simpler than having to deal with a a, a woman who I just didn't understand, and I was told by a girlfriend, you will never understand women, and I came into agreement with that lie. 
And there was a Christian, a very backslidden Christian who was in the gay lifestyle as well, who was my hairdresser. And there was one day I was sitting in his chair, he was cutting my hair, and he said, I've seen you. This man was living a double life. He had a house four days of the week. He had his wife, his two beautiful daughters, was like husband of the year, upstanding member of his community. But then three days of the week, he and his wife had an arrangement, and he lived in the gay neighborhood and would bring men home from nightclubs. And I saw him. He saw me. We were both aware of what the other one was doing. But he's, I'm sitting, and he's cutting my hair, and he looks me straight in the eye, and he says, I've seen you. And I'm thinking, I've seen you too, so what? <laughs> he said, no, I've seen you, and I feel like I need to tell you, I know what you're doing, and if you keep doing what you're doing, one day you won't be able to do anything else. He was a broken, backslidden Christian, but I believe the Holy Spirit was speaking through him, yeah. that even though he felt like he was beyond God's reach, that he thought that there was still time for me to change, and it gave me the fear of God. There was like a lightning bolt that shot through me in his chair that all of the lies that I had been believing about myself, the, th the path that I thought was my only path to freedom, I suddenly started to question. And there was a lot of working out that God needed to do on the other side of that. I'm not gonna get into all of it today, but I'm gonna tell you a few things that God brought me to a discipleship school. He started to get his word in me and the world out of me. There were things that challenged my deepest, most deepest held beliefs about my place in the world, about my identity, about who I was, about who he was, and about the way things worked. But he brought me into a place where I could wrestle with him and wrestle with those ideas and wrestle with the tree that was in my own eye, deal with those blind spots in a way that really started to set me free. He brought great people into my life. And as I got started getting comfortable sharing the easy parts of my testimony, I wasn't fully there yet. He would give us assignments to go out sharing the gospel on the streets and going down to 17th and Imperial. And God had rescued me from drug addiction and alcoholism at 19 years old on the floor of a Starbucks with a prayer. He brought me out of that and gave me freedom. And I'm still walking in that freedom today. But that was like the beginning of freedom, not the end of freedom. And I thought, okay, 17th and Imperial, these are my people, the drug addicts, the lost I can, I can share my testimony with them. But then he gave me a minister partner named Paul. Paul was a virgin. He grew up in a Christian home. He had had struggles in his life, but he had barely touched the nip of the ringer that God had been his protector his whole life and had kept him pure. And as we went out and shared the gospel with other people, I thought, yes, God's gonna use my testimony but instead God used Paul's presence. Neither of us even needed to open our mouths and there were these, these absolutely breathtakingly beautiful events where God's presence would just come into this place. Because you know, Jesus said, blessed are the pure of hearts for they shall see God. That the way that he had seen God working in his life brought God's presence to this, these people. We didn't even need to speak. We could just lay hands and people were brought to tears. 
and chains were broken off. And it wasn't just like we left these people with socks and a new pair of socks, like a new pair of socks and a bottle of water. We actually saw their lives starting to transform too. It was amazing to see how God could use both the pure and the redeemed in a way that would really bring his kingdom to earth. While I was at that school, though, and I'm not going to throw anybody from the school under the bus, but there was one guy that was a teacher at that school who I developed a rapport with. And he uh, had a beautiful family. He had a beautiful wife, beautiful kids, beautiful life. And I thought, wow, he's probably somebody that God's kept totally protected his whole life, too, because he looks like he's perfect. It was only after I shared my testimony for the first time on this stage that he and I had a conversation, and he asked me, what did you talk about? And I shared my testimony with him, and he said, wow, no way. I was also in the gay lifestyle. In fact, I was a go-go boy up in West Hollywood shaking my booty for money. And I was like, well, that would have been nice to know when I was really struggling with stuff. (laughs) We're meant to be the light of the world. We're not meant to hide our testimonies under a basket. You know, in the, in the gospel, which means good news, in the New Testament, you know how God chose to open the New Testament? With the testimony of Matthew. Matthew was the most sinful of all of the disciples. He was a tax collector. He robbed from his own people. He was a total traitor to the nation of Israel. He was exceedingly sinful and outcast from society. And God chose him to be the opener to tell his story to the world. And you know how Matthew opens his book? With Jesus' natural genealogy through Joseph. And you know that genealogy is filled with sin after sin after sin after sin of broken people, it's like he highlighted all of the junk in Jesus's family past because it wasn't meant to be a secret. When you've been redeemed, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We're meant to be the mouthpieces for God. We're meant to be his living testimony here on the earth. If you look at Revelation 12, 11, and it is such a beautiful, it's like my life verse. Revelation 12, 10 and 11, it says, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the devil who would relentlessly accuse them day and night before our God has now been defeated, cast out once and for all. They conquered him completely through the blood of the lamb and the powerful spoken word of their testimony that they triumphed because they did not love and cling to their own lives even when faced with death. You may not think that this is life and death for you. But your testimony has the power to bring life or death to somebody else. And I want to ask you today, what is on the other side of your breakthrough? Not just in your own life, but in your family's life. You may think things are going fine just now, but wait till you have kids because they're going to have questions. And right now, there is such an incredible attack on identity. And I don't want to dismiss this at all. 
because traditionally it's been said that 10% of the world's population deals with same-sex attraction, deals with gender identity issues. But it's been said that in this generation, that that's skyrocketing, and this isn't Christian media, this is regular media that's saying that people that identify with multiple genders, and last time I read it was like over 300, that it's up to 40% of Gen Zers that are identifying with these things. Peter writes that we have to be ready to offer a defense whenever we're asked for the hope that we have in Jesus. If you don't know that you've been fully redeemed, if there's still things that are being worked out in your life, there's no time to wait You actually need to get discipled. You need to invite people into your life, and you also need to invite the Holy Spirit into your life because God promises that his spirit is our ever-present help. He will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. And I know that there were parts of my life, some dark areas in my heart that I was scared to go in. I was really terrified of what I might find if I went there alone, and I was afraid of going into a really deep depression and not being able to get out. But thank God for the Holy Spirit. And you can invite him into those places and he will shine a light. But he also, the the cross doesn't just go this way between me and God. It also goes this way because we're meant to be brought into community. We're not meant to do life alone. And this is a church that is fresh, real, and powerful. We have leaders that aren't afraid to show their scars, the evidence of their healing, not their wounds, the evidence of their hurting, That they're willing to share where they've been healed because they know that the power of their testimony has the ability to set others free. And you may say, well, my testimony is not like yours. You know, God made you in a specific way to fill a specific call in this time. If you submit your life to him, he's not going to kill the life that's in you. He's not going to kill what makes you unique. He meant for you to be a unique expression. I am a unique expression of God. I was built to be creative, and I haven't become less creative walking with him, but those brambles that used to ensnare me have been cut away so I can actually feel the inspiration of God. And the word inspiration literally means the outworking of his spirit in my life. Because I've been set free and because those things have been removed from my life, and I'm not saying that I am perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I am a work in progress, and I will be until the day he calls me home. But he has cleared enough away that I can actually be useful to somebody else. And I see it all the time, and it is the most beautiful thing to be a part of. So I just want to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes right now. If you know that there are parts of your life that you need to deal with, that you haven't been able to deal with on your own, and that you may even be scared to look at because you're afraid like I was of just spiraling out, I want to extend an invitation to you in a second. 
And if there's one of those three those one of those three trees in your life that you haven't fully reckoned with, but today you had a fresh understanding and you want to recommit your life to Jesus or invite him in for the first time to break that bondage, to break those generational curses and to break whatever's been holding you down, I want to invite you this morning to respond. So if there's anybody like that in this room, at the count of three, I want you to raise up your hands so I can include you in a prayer. Is there anybody like that? One, two, three. God bless you. 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 God bless you down in the front. God bless you over on the side. God bless you. 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 All right. Now I actually want to invite you to do something in public, and this isn't meant to embarrass you, but it's so you can look back at this moment and say, this is the moment where I drew a line, and I did it in a public way. I want to invite everybody that raised their hand to come down to the front so I can pray for you. Will you do that right now? Ushers are going to open up the gates, and if you raised your hand, I want you to come down to the front because this can be a moment for you, a moment of transformation that is going to forever change your life. I don't want you to hold that back and don't worry about inconveniencing the people that are blocking you. Just get through, find a way to get down here. And if there's anybody else that's sitting in their seat, I know the power of God can hit you where you're at as well. But will everybody close their eyes and bow their head and repeat this prayer with me wherever you are right now. Father God, I thank you that you so loved me that before sin entered into the world, you offered yourself up as a sacrifice to give me a way to come home. Father God, I thank you that I'm one of your family, that I'm a beloved child, and as your child, that you will grow me, mature me, and love me in your time and in your way as you help me deal with the trees that have gotten in my way. And Father God, I thank you that you have given me freedom to set others free. Let your light burn brightly in me so that I would be a beacon of hope to a lost and dying world. Let me bring life and hope wherever I go and grow up a community around me that'll help me live permanently free in Jesus name. Amen. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com. 
or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.